How's it going, friends? I hope you had a great end of the year. I'm really excited to be starting off the episodes of 2023 with my dad. Uh, we talk a bit about his history in the entertainment business as a musician, an actor, and a director, and some of the shows that he's been part of, like Mamma Mia, Grease, and the upcoming Rock of Ages show that's going on at the Elgin Theater in Toronto starting in February, and the tickets are on sale right now, and you can find that link in the show notes. My dad shares some of his insight and experience of performing both on screen and on stage and some of his favorite moments over the shows he's worked on over the years. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode with my dad, Kent Sheridan. Okay, well, I guess we're rolling, but... uh... For a little introduction, this is first episode of 2023. It'll be, and uh, we're still at the tail end of 2022. But I figured starting off the new year with an episode with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and you're running off to a rehearsal for. Um, is it for the show next year? You're doing this rehearsal no, today. This, uh, this is a show I'm directing in Markham. Oh, um, called Into the Woods. It's for a non-professional theater. The the youth theater with. Uh, yeah. Well, it's like it's is it like really youth? I mean, we've got in the past couple of years, we've had a lot of kids yeah. in, in the shows but um i think partly because it's into the woods which is a, if you're a musical theater person that's a, a kind of an iconic show that people want to do it's like mm. a bucket list show like chorus line is and cats which i don't really get because i'm not a big fan <laughs> of cats but if that you're movie a dancer, got, you really want to do cats that movie got shit on the oh, new one <laughs> yeah. um but anyway <clears throat> Uh, also, because they changed, because this is the first show after the pandemic for them, mm. so they changed some of the rules, and they wanted to have not as big a cast. Yeah, um, it's probably easier to manage as well. Yeah, oh, for me, yeah, and but also, uh, so anyway, our our cast is mostly older than uh, the past years. I don't have a whole bunch of kids oh, okay. this time, right? So I have mostly people that are in university, some adults that are have jobs and do theater you know as a hobby i guess you'd call it okay and do you do like i don't i can't remember how you got mixed in with those because that's obviously you're like directing those shows you're not in mm -hmm. them yourself um but what was the first theater show you directed was that would that have been in michigan done in chicago it yeah. been, was in it at michigan yes the show was chicago yeah right yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the uh, i was i was up for a, to play the role of billy flynn in um Halifax, I think, <clears throat> and they were taking some time to make that decision, and then uh, what, the theater in Michigan contacted me mm. also to do the same show, same role, mm. and then I so I said to them, "Well, if you let me direct it, then I'll I'll do yours." So right, that's, oh cool. So they did, and then I, I remember because um, I remember one of the shows you were in, you had a wicked scene with the it's like they're marionettes, they're sort of that's Chicago, yeah, right? and then. But that's not the one you directed. I'm thinking of when you no, were actually I, in the show. I directed show. that, and you were in it too. Yeah. Oh, I that's cool. Choreographed that oh, um, okay. scene too. Yeah. With the marionettes. Yeah. That scene was awesome. I remember that it was really cool. And didn't you have uh, like somebody you were pretending to? What do you call those? Um, it's like Jeff Dunham or. Yeah. That's uh, what's yeah, that so called? Uh, if people don't know the show, that's that was. Um, uh, Richard Gere played Billy Flynn in the movie. Movie of that show was really good. I thought. That was Catherine Zeta Jones. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, <clears throat> um, what's her name? Renny Zellweger right. was Roxy. So that scene is Billy Flynn is her lawyer, and he's basically like 
as lawyers do, he's telling her everything to say in court. So the scene is he sits in her lap and it's like she's a ventriloquist dummy. So she's parroting everything he tells her to say. So then the reporters all become marionettes on strings because they're also reporting everything. He's, he's, uh, I don't know what do you call it, controlling the narrative. So basically, they're just like pep puppets also. That's and cool. he's the puppet master. Did you get that? Did you see other shows of Chicago and sort of put that together? Or did you just watch the movie? And yeah, I mean, the idea? movie has the similar idea of their marionettes. Like, I'm not sure about the original that uh, Bob Fosse did if they were marionettes then. But I did. I was in it once before. And um, same idea, same concept. Oh, okay. So um, just that it was... Um, so, I, you know, it was the same concept we had done there using the marionettes. And I just... Uh, but the dance moves, the choreography I did. Hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, for it's it's always interesting to me to think about because you have so much experience in so many different places of entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I guess you started off like playing music and, and singing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that would have been the first thing. Was that before you did any theater or any acting? Oh, yeah. It was all just yeah. music based. Yeah, because I was in high school. We had a really good music program in high school. Was that and, at Wexford? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Which later became a school of the arts. It wasn't a school. Oh. It was a regular high school when I was there. Oh, okay. Well, it wasn't a regular high school, really, because they were already uh, like a vocational visual arts. Mm. They had a big program for that, and they had a wing of the school that was added where you could do... I was in that program where you you take half your day was just art classes. Oh, okay. So you go to sculpture class, and they had this big room... <clears throat> where you could, you know, pottery wheels and all kinds of stuff. But they, um, they had a great music program, and they added singers to the, the stage band, the jazz band, all that stuff. That was, And then, you know, some of us, the singers, formed a band out of that. And that was okay. my, the first band I was in, this cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> we played, like, you know junior high schools and stuff like that. Do you, did you, when you first started singing, I mean, cause you did a lot of, like you were on Star Search and, mm-hmm. and people probably don't know what that is, but <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, what would that, how would you, I mean, well, there were a like lot of people American Idol in the eighties, but wasn't it also like, wasn't there com- uh, comedy on there? And yep. there was a whole bunch of different stuff. On they there. had, well, I mean, the categories changed over the course of the show, over different seasons. But, um, you know, they had categories like, I mean, they even even had an acting category hmm. where they'd have uh, a male actor, you know, two two male actors, and they'd both act out the same scene. Really? Yeah. And, and then, then you, they had a female category, and then those two females would, and some of those people, I ended up working with a couple yeah. of those people in television that, um, you know, became television actors. Um but then they had they had a kids category, so I I don't know what the age group was. I think four like was the youngest was mm. the cutoff. Oh my gosh! Um, but there was uh, yeah. So then little kids who sang. So that was boys and girls. It, there was no male like they were mixed. You know, it, yeah. it could be a boy against a girl, whatever. But then they had a male singer category, female singer. Then they had a, stand-up comic that's cool yeah, rosie o'donnell came from right, Star right. Search, right i knew there was a couple so big did names. sinbad i don't know if people know who sinbad is now but um yeah some i forget who else but oh uh spokesmodel category really yeah it'd <laughs> <laughs> be so weird to judge that yeah did um is that in the that would have been i guess it, would you have been already 
kind of touring with your band back then or where yeah i was playing with the band i mean touring we we played around ontario southern ontario mm. but um playing with the band and i was working at canada's wonderland and so canada's wonderland was a part of the company in the states that taft entertainment that produced star search oh, okay but then when the the arm of that that um owned canada's wonderland bought it bought out the parks and separated from taft mm -hmm. then we were allowed to go on the show because otherwise we wouldn't be allowed because mm -hmm. we essentially were employees of taft entertainment right right so the you know you're in the states you couldn't do that right once they separated and became a different entity then we could go on it but then they also had good connections to for optimum audition right. um um conditions because they we auditioned up in canada a few of us and then they sent us down to the states to audition and the the park down in cincinnati put on a show where they whatever there were 10 people that from the parks all over america that they brought in for a special night of auditions for star search so they invited an audience because they were all you know people that entertains that worked at the park or whatever they had a full audience and sound production and so it wasn't just like going into a room and auditioning so it was um and they brought us into the costume warehouse and said you know have at it pick something you want to wear if you need to they let you pick I yeah but never I, do I that have now. clothes but yeah oh yeah and they had but they had people a wardrobe supervisor <laughs> you're not would, wearing that would uh, <laughs> help you out you know um so it was really optimum and then from there we went the two of us from here um, Mira and myself, we got invited to go to New York for the final callbacks. We went to SRO Studios or something, a place where Rolling Stones recorded. And then uh, they had a more normal audition process where you're in a big room. Still, it was amplified. They had a PA, but they played your music over the thing and then videotaped you and sat and watched. But didn't you make, how far in the show did you make it? I got, well, I... So in that show, different from American Idol, you go up and they had four, I think, four judges. And then each judge gives you a, a, a rating from one to four stars, I think. And then they add them up and average them out and you get your score right there. And you, so you're competing against another singer. So they sing, if they're, like the guy I competed against was the reigning champion at the time. And so he, he, I think he goes first and then I go and then they um, vote. So it's not about phone in votes from the audience, all that stuff. So they vote right there and then you get your average and one of you wins. And that person goes on to the next week and competes against the next challenger. Oh, okay, okay. Right? And then you just go on as long as you can kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, so, and they have two half seasons. So whoever has won the most shows of the first half season is going to be the fi one finalist. Okay. And then they do the second half season, whoever wins the most shows in that. So those two guys are the finalists. And then whoever wins um, is the winner. I think it was a $10,000 prize at the time or something. No, no, no. I think it was a $100,000 prize. That's way more. So it was pretty, but, <laughs> but, it, but I don't think it was a, here's a check for 100000 I think it was 100000 you know, in studio time and whatever, you know. But I think some of it was monetary. But you also got paid to be on the show. So if you, the longer you went, just as if you were on a variety show, you got a, yeah. an after uh, contract, you know. Or just even think now for you, if you were to go on a show like that, if you, the, the longer you stay on it, then the more 
social media presence you have. So whatever you do now to try to promote and get yourself more downloads, more more streams, more et cetera, et cetera, so that when you go to a club to get a gig, it's like, oh, yeah, look how, look how many um, followers he has. If you get on that show and you're staying on, think about how many mm. you would have. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I have a friend, you know, Melissa O'Neill. Mm-hmm. You remember her? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> now, she won Canadian Idol. I'm not sure if that was the first season or second season, but she she's very successful now, but it doesn't really have anything to do with that. Yeah. It was just, it was a, because, you know, she had an album come out after that because it was part of the deal. And she had some radio play with that. Um, but it was a springboard into now when she was, you know, well, I did Dirty Dancing with her. So it was a stage show. Well, she got seen for that and considered for that because of who she was. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, that got her in the door. Well, she's wickedly talented. So she got the job. But, um, now she's on. Uh, she's down in LA. She's uh, on a television show down there, The Rookie. Um, oh, now, I know that show. Being yeah. on The Rookie has nothing to do with Canadian Idol, right? Yeah. But but that started the path for yeah. her to get there. And so then, so you were on that show, and that would have been in, in the. Did that sort of get you? Like, what got you into wanting to do acting and stuff too? Whether that was through TV, movies, or or yeah, on stage. I, like, uh, when I was working at that this theme park, Canada's Wonderland, then I got an agent. <clears throat> who got me auditions for commercials. So I started working at commercials. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, The more you're in the business, then you want to do the thing you're not doing, right? It's like you knew somebody that got on a TV show or in a movie, and you're like, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> why, I, why didn't they make me do that? So, um, yeah, and then... Um, I don't know how I got into that. I, I think just having an agent, eventually you get an audition for something. Casting directors know who you are. So you, for a long time, I was just getting the audition for the guy who comes to the door and yells for taxi, you know, it's yeah. like a crappy <laughs> little thing because, you know, I'm, I'm, consi- you know like, I'm considered a musical theater person for a long time because I did all that stuff. I did, you know, Dirty Dancing and Mamma Mia and uh, Chicago and... Napoleon and Greece and blah, 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 blah. Starlight. Anyway, yeah. And so there's a point, there was a time um, that it was tough to get seen for anything for film and television because they considered theater people or particularly musical theater people, not really actors. Mm. But, but now, but two things happened, you know, you get seen for some stuff, you get a gig, a casting director goes, oh, yeah, they are an actor. But also a lot more of directors in film and television, at least the ones I've worked with, are people who have theater backgrounds. So they love theater performers. So so now it's, I think it's easier. Uh, there's not as much prejudice against it. So there's more um, directors who go, oh, what, they're from theater? Yeah, 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 bring him in. Mm. I'll see him, you know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it would seem... I don't know, not that one's easier than the other, but it just seems because live theater, um, you know, you're doing the show, all these people come to watch the show. It almost just seems a bit more like high stakes or a bit more, it gets you, gets you a little bit more fired up because you're not sitting in a trailer. You go shoot a scene, mm-hmm. you go chill for a day, de- for the rest of the day, well, you go back and forth. If you're shooting film television, you screw up, you, yeah. you do it again. Just do it again. You know, and you know, you, you screw up your lines, you, you laugh, everybody laughs, and you do it again. Yeah. Um, on stage, you you can't do that. You screw up your lines. You got to figure out a way oh, to God. to 
not show that you screwed up your lines <laughs> and make the lines work anyway, you know. Have you ever had a catastrophic, um, something like go down on stage, like a live theater thing, like you forget lines or something, and you're just lost in, or have you ever seen something like that happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you, I, sometimes it'll happen to you and you, you think you've forgotten every line in the script and you, you're standing there for five minutes not saying anything, but in reality, when you ask everybody around you, it's like you, you just screwed up one word. Yeah. And, yeah. and but that made your brain, brain flip inside out. And, yeah. Um, and it wasn't as big a mistake as you thought it was, but, uh, yeah, I've had stuff, had a set fall down around me oh, one God. time <laughs> and then, uh, like just tip over and, f and, it was a big arch thing, so it just tipped over and fell over us. Oh, like around you? Didn't fall, yeah, it didn't fall <laughs> on us or hit us. And um, I, yeah, I jumped out of a lighting bay to slide on this wire across the audience to where I would let, like if you watch the movie, that's an old movie now, but Back to the Future where Marty McFly gets the thing from the clock tower and slides mm. all the way down the wire to the car and get in yeah. it was a thing like that it's called a slide for life and it broke <laughs> and i fell into the audience oh god yeah although fortunately it was a light audience so there was nobody where i fell <laughs> just the benches and stuff <laughs> that's like a it's like the baseball version of live theater it's like i caught an actor yeah because <laughs> yeah. i think that was getting near the end of the season so i probably didn't do it again the mm. rest of the season you know that's <laughs> what show was that for uh it's a show called fantasy it was like okay. a song and dance review i mean you go to canada's well i don't even know if they do shows now but they have um like in that case there's the big castle at canada's Wonderland. Oh, yeah. they have a theater inside and oh, okay so it would be in in that case it was i think it was all pop music and you know, other years they had, it's like a review show at a, in a Vegas showroom or on a cruise ship. Mm. It's the same kind of show, you know? Yeah. I, and that's, the, I think you maybe told me this a long time ago, but if you mess up, I mean, obviously if you fall from a zip line into this theater or into the crowd, you can't really brush that off and be like, ta-da. Well, I, I, <laughs> still, I climbed up on the stage and took the microphone and finished back the song and then we went off. Yeah. And then they... Took me to the hospital. <laughs> because your hand I was lay broken. on the floor. Yeah. And I lay on the floor there. And again, remember I said that thing where you make a mistake and it feels like you're five minutes? That's what I was, yeah, yeah. So I lay on the floor running through the scenarios in my head. So what do I do? Do I lie here? Wait till, because it's this is the last big number in the show, I think. So do I lie here and wait till the show's over? wait for all the audience to leave and then get up <laughs> or do I, and finally I went, I'm, I just got to get up and climb up on the stage. And then I finished the song because I couldn't figure out how else, or do I crawl out of the thing and go out the side door because there's an emergency <laughs> exit at the side door where people would see the door open and the guy, guy, the, the guy in the cape crawl out the side door. <laughs> so I, I got up on stage instead and finished the song. So, so, you know, I lay there for what felt like 10 minutes, but it was probably, well, it couldn't have been more than five seconds or I wouldn't have any song left to sing, you know? <laughs> so it was a band, if it was a band or it was the track it just was still tracks. playing? Yeah, yeah still it just playing played there. through. So <laughs> I, I might have missed the first line of my song that I was supposed to sing. That's so, pretty sweet. So that's that's all it was, you know, it was the only line there for seconds. And so, so your hand was broken. Audience's point of view, I went, 
disappeared, popped back up, <laughs> jumped on the stage. But in my head, it yeah. was like, I fell, lay there for 10 minutes, <laughs> trying to figure out what to do, and then crawled up on the stage. If you come on, I always tell um, actors I'm directing, and I always say, because people come out and you see them, they're nervous, and it's them coming out playing the character because they're nervous about being there and they're nervous about the audience judging them and finding their mistakes and things like that. And I, say, and I always say, no, you, you, you owe it to your audience to put yourself on a pedestal because they want you to be, come out and be in control and entertain them and and if if you do make a mistake and they see it as, as a live performer and they see you make a mistake audiences love that you know especially if you can deal with it and you it doesn't screw you up but you're like ah you know you stop the song you go, ah, i'm saying all the wrong words they, yeah they love that <laughs> yeah they love they love oh i was at this show last night and this went wrong they yeah. love to be there for that you know someone who's nervous people just smell that on you right away oh, and yeah. then you're written off like an audition if you're nervous for an audition you're gonna screw yourself well, up before yeah. you even get to do it they say you can you can lose the part walking in yeah 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 for sure <laughs> there's probably something with too much confidence though i think we've all seen that on singing auditions yeah (laughs) well it makes you unlikable yeah 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 i mean people want you to be i guess if if you're auditioning for somebody they want you to be talented they want you to be right for the part or Mm -hmm. the role or whatever but uh, they also want to want to work with you yeah and if you walk in and you're a dick yeah it's like "Mm, i don't like that person (laughs) yeah i hate you even if you're awesome i hate you. yeah yeah because you can't you can't guess what everybody else wants, except in a situation where somebody is telling you specifically, yeah. this is what I want, yeah. um, and then you give it to them. Yeah. And that would be maybe when you're in the studio singing something for somebody mm-hmm. who, you know, like who's producing or a writer or whatever they bring you in. Um, then, yeah. Or, but generally, you, you have to... You can't guess what other people want you to be. And then if you try to guess, you might be wrong. And the thing they wanted was the thing that you actually are, (laughs) right? Exactly. And um, because I don't really have any acting experience, but since you have a bunch, do you find that like if you're doing a movie or something, more like a movie or or a TV show, less of a commercial, but even Mm -hmm. there may probably happen still too, but you you have so much, you get your words, you get your lines, Mm -hmm. and then you can sort of create this character around those i mean i'm sure you have guidelines and like this guy mm-hmm. is sort of this way and we want you to be this sort of actor and that's why they hire you but ultimately you have a lot of creative freedom to how are you going to you know inflectuate this line or what's the cadence going to be and what, what's your face going to do as you say it and you, you know it's kind of interesting yeah i mean you get what they call as a breakdown <clears throat> so they'll they give you a character description of your character that that describes oh this guy's this old he's uh, an executive who grew up you know maybe he whatever they describe what the character's like and so you figure that out when it comes to actually acting it yeah you i would say you basically do what you want until it's not right mm. you know so you, you figure you would what's it called making choices so based on the character based on the lines based on the scene i make choices about how I'm going to do this. But then you also have to listen to your other actor because you're in a real conversation. So whatever they give you, you try to react 
uh, appropriately. Mm. So that may on the fly alter your performance a little bit. Right. Um, and basically you do that until, and if it's not wrong, then the director's not going to correct you. If, if right. It's, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, that worked. That was great. If not, then he'll come to, uh, I want you to be more angry or mm. whatever, you know? Right. So then he'll make adjustments. Yeah. It's cool. Like when, I wonder where, I don't know if you noticed it in yourself or if you watch something back and, but it just seems to me that one of the hardest things to do would be to just get your lines and make it seem like you're not, I'm not waiting for you to like, I'm ready for you to finish your, your line. And then I'm jumping in with mine. It's so interesting yeah. how it seems like such a normal conversation when you watch, you know, great movies or great shows and you forget that it makes you forget that these people aren't just organically doing this right there. This is all scripted and all yeah. arranged and they've been doing this all day or all for two yeah. years or whatever. And, and, uh, it's just cool. Like, I wonder, is that just come with the confidence of it or is that just, just practicing with it? You just sort of get to you know, have know exactly how this whole conversation is going to go, but then still make it seem like a real conversation. Yeah, and I think that's the hard, hardest might not be the right word, but the biggest challenge is exactly that to make it look like it's you're not acting, mm -hmm. like this is just happening. Mm. Um, the biggest, uh, yeah, the longer you do it, I guess, with more practice. And you get more confident or you're less uptight about it. You're worried. And when you're starting, you're worried about getting the dialogue right, saying it. And and then it ends up being stilted and mm, yeah. not natural. But once you start shooting and you get more comfortable and just like, oh, this is a conversation. If I don't say this exactly how it's written, that doesn't matter. As long as I yeah. say what's written. Um, and then then it becomes more more comfortable. You're not as uptight about it, then it be, is more natural. Yeah. And you're more confident because you know, yeah, it doesn't matter if I script this line, we'll just do it again. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen them. There's these videos. I think they're on like Facebook and whatever, Instagram and stuff, but there's these cool videos where they'll have a scene of, of whatever, you know, like I saw one recently, I think it was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm the dialogue between Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio and under it's like a split screen and on the top half it's the scene and then on the bottom half it's the script yeah and so the script sort of just rolls and it's cool to see how often they don't yeah say what that is well, but that's, it's the same that's idea the thing too is the the comfort coming from this the script is a guideline mm -hmm. so then you're able to say it more naturally if you just say it your way yeah <clears throat> oh Nine times out of ten, you you end up saying what's written. Yeah, but there are little, maybe little changes, and then that's when you're like, "Is that okay?" You know, yeah. If the writer doesn't have a problem with it, then oh no, I liked it. It was fine. It was mm -hmm. cool. Um, yeah. And some some shows and some writers, some stage shows are you know, it's much more particular. Yeah. About getting the script the way it's written, but stage shows are more presentational. Yeah. So it's not as much like you're standing in a room. Um, eavesdropping on an actual conversation, you're watching a performance. Right, right. right? They're playing it to you, yeah, yeah, the audience. Yeah. And I used to say that too um, when I was doing more music lessons and I wouldn't necessarily do too many vocal-only lessons, but mm -hmm. even still I would incorporate vocals with if somebody wanted to sing and they played a guitar or piano or something, I would always encourage them to you know, record themselves and then mm -hmm. listen back as much as they can, you know, for a couple of reasons. Like one reason you'll hear the little, the times you're f flat or sharp or you're off the timing of what 
it's supposed to be. And you'll hear that a little easier as if you're just not doing it. So yeah. You just chill and listen to it. And then also you get, you're so, I'll never forget that one of the first times we, you know, made home videos on a family trip and I was recording stuff and you hear your own voice back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I'm so annoying or whatever, <laughs> right? I sound crazy. That's what I sound like. And, uh, but you know, over time you just hear it enough back and you don't, it's not surprising to hear your voice anymore. It's like, yeah, that's what I sound like. And in this, in this day now, that's, people aren't surprised to hear their voices because they hear them all the time. Well, with that, you know, everybody has, you know, phones and you're yeah. always video that's recording true. and stuff. You know, for me growing up, you never heard your own voice unless you had a tape recorder and recorded yourself yeah. talking. And that's a good point. Yeah. You know, and then you, that's what it's like, what? I, that's what I sound like. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what it sounds like in my head. <laughs> well, even people who sing, like, they'll sing and then they think they're a crappy singer, but they're actually pretty good. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you'll tell them to record themselves. And then if they get comfortable with their own voice, maybe they don't think they're so bad. They just yeah. cringe at it because it's, your, it's yourself. It's like well, probably watching yourself do a, you know, watching yourself on a scene back. You're like, oh, man, I'm it's not even who I am. I, wouldn't, I was going to ask you what uh, if you had, like, a couple of actors that, I guess like maybe more household names of actors, but some of the bigger ones that are like, is there anybody you really like their movies or a show? Like, is there anybody who you enjoy watching their acting? Um, well, Christoph Waltz is amazing. You know who that is? Is he the guy in Inglorious Bastards? Yeah. yeah. He, oh yeah. He's awesome. And, he's and awesome. I worked with him once. He was the director of a movie. I really? Understand. Yeah. Which movie? Uh, Georgetown. I just have one, well, two scenes in it, I guess. And he's in it too. And um, Vanessa Redgrave, who's this legendary movie star, plays his wife. And anyway, he's um, like to watch him. And especially after watching him direct and stuff, he's such, he's such a like really nice and polite and hmm. clearly incredibly intelligent person, you mm -hmm. know? And he says something about a scene about, oh, what about this? And you're like, oh man, that's, I get it exactly, <laughs> you know, and um, but then so then to watch him in a movie and see him, like the character he creates that 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 German officer in Inglorious Bastards, oh, so good. Like, that scene he's where so pleasant and nice and so, yeah. just so dastardly, you know, that, at the same time where he, you know, he in the opening scenes he they kill that whole family and that one girl gets away, and then later on in the movie she, she's at the cafe or whatever and he he's sitting at the table yeah, with and her she yeah she sits down and, and and she's doing the thing and he it's just so uh, it's such a great scene because he's yeah. so you know all the backstory and you know what she's going through and he doesn't really remember and he's just so like you just you're just waiting for the stick to break and, and just everything goes crazy but it doesn't but yeah. it, that tension that's just there from just you know and then. Oh, it's so good. That's that movie's great. Yeah, I mean, I like uh, Jason Bateman. Oh yeah, because he's uh, you know an Ozark, but also he's inc incredibly funny too. Right? I know, like so dry and funny. But then, like, look at him in that Ozark. He, he goes, and he directed that too, didn't he? Ozark. I think he, I don't know that he directed all of it, but I do some think it? he directed some of it. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a. I want to say he's a producer on it. I'm mm -hmm. not, I might be wrong. It's a huge that, part but. of it. But yeah, it's, yeah, that's so different than one of my other favorite movies, Horrible Bosses. The yeah. movies are hilarious and he's in that too. But yeah, he's a cool... You don't see that too often, eh? Where you can go from... He's very understated. You think so? Yeah, because he's, you know, even when he's being funny, instead of taking it over the top... That's true. You know, he he goes the opposite direction. That's true, yeah. And uh, And 
like those Ozark, like the, the patience he has when something incredible is happening and he just, yeah, he doesn't say anything. Yeah. While he figures it out in his head and then no change of expression. You know, you can't tell that he's freaking out yeah. as he's about to be, you know, killed <laughs> yeah. or whatever, you know. Well, yeah, that's such a good show. Yeah. Um, Michael Keaton, you know who that is? Yeah, yeah. He's a good, like, started out as, as like, ridiculous, uh, funny movies, like mm. Mr. Mom, and he's hilarious. Mm. But now he's more, I think, probably, well, he was Batman. He was a great oh, Batman. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then he's done something like Bird on, a, Bird on a Wire, I think it's called. I think he was either won or was nominated for an Academy Award for that. He Anyway, he's, like, more of a serious actor now, and like, serious parts, I mean, and he's intense, and he's amazing. Yeah, I think I think Michael Keaton because it's watching him, like what they what he does with. It's just you you can see him changing the script. I don't mean he's changing the script like the dialogue. I don't know, but um, taking real time. Um, Christopher Walken's good at that too. Mm. Like, where it's not about the words he says; it's about what he does in between the words. Yeah, the space and the confidence to. Just take that time. Yeah. I really like Brad Pitt too, actually. Yeah. I think because he's such a matinee idol, he gets underrated as an actor. Yeah. But um You said he's one of the he's your favorite like actor who he's always eating something always, in the scene. <laughs> always eating something. <laughs> yeah. So now I, that yeah. I think in once upon a time he's always eating yep. something. He's always <laughs> eating an apple or or he's got fries and walking he's in the whole, through the whole conversation. Well the where he played Billy Dean, the What's that called? Uh, he was the baseball manager, but I think that's the Oakland A's. Oh, yeah. What was that movie? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, <laughs> he's yeah. He's constantly with the sunflower seeds. Yeah. <laughs> and there's even a scene where he's on the phone with somebody, and he <laughs> stuffs these sunflower seeds in his mouth, and clearly they you know, responded quicker than he expected them to, and he has to turn like to this waste paper basket and spit out, spit out all the seeds before then he can answer the question on the phone. It's cool because I feel like that could be something where you'd see somebody doing it, and you'd but like, it's so real, yeah, right? Yeah. Like I, you know, how often are you talking to somebody that they're they're eating something while you're talking to yeah. them? Yeah, you know, if you're sitting at lunch, you don't order your food and just talk. Yeah, while the food sits there, you're you're eating or yeah. you're drinking your coffee or whatever you're doing. So I guess just to talk about things, because I'm really excited for next year to come see that show. I really enjoyed the show. Um, Jukebox. Jukebox Hero, right? Oh, you're wearing yeah. the sweater right now. Yeah. Um, that one I really enjoyed. That was cool. Um, just like a mix of, you know, a storyline, but then also these great tunes and, and music that was there. So well, It's funny because when they, what was the first one? I don't think it was Mamma Mia, but the first time a musical came out that was all like a story, but it was all music of a band. So like Mamma Mia is how they work the story in using ABBA songs, right? And they coined the phrase jukebox musical. Oh, okay. It's like you, you put a coin in a jukebox, you picked songs, and now you make a story to go along with it. Mm. As opposed to a musical theater like Chicago or Mamma Mia or something where those songs are written for the show. Mm. Uh, instead, you're building a show around like a pop group's songs. But ironic that it was called jukebox. That's a that's a term. And oh, then okay. when Foreigner did it, because they have this song, Jukebox Hero. Right. So then they called the show Jukebox Hero. And oh, what kind of show is it? It's a jukebox musical. I didn't know that, so it all comes around. Yeah. That's cool. That's funny. So it was actually the 
ABBA Mamma Mia stuff that made the jukebox term. I, I, I feel like there was another show before that. Mm. And yeah. Did you hear ABBA's new album? No. It's really good. I, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's yeah. good. Obviously, it's good, but it, that's the same thing, right? They hadn't, when's the last album they put out? I don't even know, but. Well, I remember when we were doing Mamma Mia and there was a whole big resurgence of ABBA. Um, because they had done this movie, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, which later became a stage show. That's where they, it was an Australian show, and they used a lot of uh, ABBA music in it. And all of a sudden, people were all about ABBA again. And yeah. then they made Mamma Mia, so now it was huge. So at the time, somebody offered ABBA a billion dollars to perform. And I think it was a one-off, and they said, no. Nah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I think it was a billion dollars. And so now they, with this last album, they did a virtual thing, right? Where they, um, they all put on the, uh, what do you call it? Motion capture suits, I, I think. So they've made like a hologram oh, that's sick. of the band. That's cool. That can perform this album. <laughs> like a queen. You saw Queen live, right? Yeah. How would, that would have been crazy. Three times, I think. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, it was insane. They had, because Bohemian Rhapsody... You know, it was that big, uh, or, uh, uh, like, choral part, you know. Um, Beelzebub, all that section, right? How do you, you they couldn't perform that live. Because mm. it's, what, what, I think I read once it was 157 overdubs or something, vocally. <laughs> I forget. But um, anyway, so what they would do, because then it kicks back into the rock. Yeah. So you think you can stone me, that part. They they would leave the stage. So at one time I saw it at the grandstand um, which is gone now from the CNE. The, the soccer pitch is sort of in its place now. Mm. And um, they they all left the stage, and uh, the drummer's uh, kit was on a riser with stairs, and each stair had, like, aircraft landing lights in okay. it. So those would shine out at the audience. And then they had these... Uh, arms these banks of lights above the band for the whole show but their lighting rig was in these banks these uh, rectangular rectangular (laughs) (laughs) um banks of lights which i don't know they'd have like 32 lights park hands in a bank maybe or something maybe it wasn't that many but Mm. um and then i think six arms and they were like on arms so when they left these things came to life so the the banks would tilt and but these arms would go up and down and extend forward so it was like an octopus of lights on the stage and all this smoke coming up and then these aircraft landing lights blam out on the audience because the audience of course is singing the entire thing Mm. and then um at the end of it when it comes into the rock part Freddie Mercury has gone down underneath and changed. So he changes into this bodysuit made of little mirrors. <laughs> no way. And, and, he, and the uh, trap door on the stage opens up and he's on a platform and he's just in that classic Freddie Mercury pose. It's dry ice just pours out of this hole and, and it rises him up out of the floor God. and the band all comes running back in and then they kick into that rock right. part, you know? That's sick. Yeah, that's amazing. That's sick. That would be, that'd be, I mean, how many people today are, you know, if you could see one band, uh, living or dead, who would it be? Like, how yeah. many people would shoot? I wonder what the most would be. You know, would it be the Beatles? Would it be Queen? Would it be yeah, I mean, Jimmy probably Hendrix? the top three would be Queen, Elvis, and the Beatles, right? Probably. 
you know, and then, yeah, those are probably maybe be Bob Marley. Three. Yeah, yeah, he'd be up there for sure. Yeah, I wonder who. I think I would pick. I think I would pick Queen. I don't know. Bob Marley would be cool too. It was an epic. Each time I saw them was an epic performance. You know, because mm-hmm. they really use the stage. They would do things where they put platforms up on stairs on either side so they would run back and forth and get up on these things so that you know you get right up over the audience and lots of things like that and freddie mercury was just a non-stop yeah um you know like the movie that's it, it, no exaggeration yeah you know uh, at how much of a showman he was such a good movie yeah and he could do that thing right he, he like where he would become a conductor and make the audience do whatever he wanted yeah what's that one uh the is it um live aid where he does like the mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. and they just here just. and he did that with us you know like as an audience yeah i saw them once at maple leaf gardens where we sat in the first row of the blues which is right on the rail where the zamboni comes out mm. and we were actually backstage so we were about 15 feet from freddie's change tent Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> and he would come out and sort of you know talk to people in no the audience way. and stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he seemed like a really cool person. He, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what it was like in his head. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not a normal life. Yeah, being that oh, can't imagine huge and everything. You know, but uh, you you started. I mean, okay, so I know it's uh, what is it now three just before three o'clock. Won't go too much longer because I know you got to run to mm-hmm. that rehearsal. But I guess uh, yeah. I mean, a couple of things I want to ask you, but I mean in terms of going back to what I was, we were talking about with Jukebox Hero and stuff. Mm-hmm. So next year you've got the Rock of Ages show. Yeah. And that's all, what music is that again? I forget. It's like 80s hair it's all, band music. It's all just a compilation like, of that. Um, it's um, not any specific band. No, there's like four, well, I think there's some Foreigner in it and um, Journey <clears throat> and um, uh, what's his name? Twisted Sister mm. and um, some... Some iconic hits that you hear, and that, but then you hear the name of the band. You're like, that, you know, you you think it was Bon Jovi or something, mm. which I think there's some Bon Jovi in it too. Wanted Dead or Alive, I think, is in there, and yeah, there's some great that just that over the top '80s hair band music. Yeah, you know, yeah, we open well, we open for previews February 23rd, I think, and um, open. Like the official opening is March second, mm. full time. And thing. what theater is that? Mervish? It's no, it's the Elgin. The Elgin, okay. Yeah, which is two blocks south of the Mervish, what they call the Mervish Theater now. Yeah, which is where you saw Jukebox. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. That's just, yeah, right, right, right. So how many songs are you gonna sing? Do you I, know yet? I can't remember because I've done the show before, right? Yeah, and I have, I know I have. I can't remember how many songs I sing myself. I have one solo for sure that I remember. And then I have a duet with Lonnie, who's my assistant bar manager. So mm. we're, you know, it's like we're a pair. So they have the, the, the two romantic leads and then, are the, and then they have, we're the other leads. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And how long does it run for? Runs till May. Oh, wow. 22nd-ish. That's a long they, run. They do have, uh, it could extend. And then um, for, you know, who knows, a couple weeks or a couple months maybe. Mm-hmm. But because uh, they've got sort of a contingency in that to make sure people are available just in case. I don't mm. know when they would decide that, but Seems like a, it's a pretty long run for a show though. Well, a few months. 
Yeah, it depends. I mean, you know, it used to be everything's experimental kind of now. Because, um, you know, I did Mamma Mia for three years. That's true, yeah. Dirty Dancing was a year and a half. It would have gone longer, but then there was the, the um, financial crash in 2008. Mm. And so people had no money to go to shows anymore. So mm. that kind of shut us down. Um, Mamma Mia would have gone longer and SARS was oh, yeah? kind of what shut that down because nobody would come to Toronto because right, we had that, that epidemic here, yeah. right? And then, um, so that's a show for a big budget, big theater show. They want it to run in order, because it costs a lot of money to yeah. announce something like that. Yeah. You doing a show in a dinner theater also costs a lot of money, but it's not, not you're not talking millions, you're talking tens or maybe a hundred thousand. I don't know, mm -hmm. but um, you don't have to run it for four months in order to, at capacity to make your money back. You Jesus, know? Yeah. Wow. Right. <clears throat> yeah. The amount of money to, to run it would be crazy. And yeah. I mean, and then there's Starlight Express that you've done, which is it literally, literally has its own theater for only that show. Yeah. They it, built it. Yeah. For that. Yeah. You don't play, you don't go see other shows there. And that, that show is, <laughs> that show is, I think, next year or or the year after they're already planning the 35th anniversary party mm. so that's where starlighters we're invited from all over the world to come to bochum um so i haven't i didn't go to the 25th or the 30th i was there i was working there for the 10th and that's how old the show is 35 yeah, years it's that's been it. running for 33 well, I mean, years the show itself is older you know yeah. it started in london but yeah it ran in london for 10 years or so I went back to see it maybe whatever eight years ago or so, but maybe, yeah, but and how it had changed, right? There were people you guys were using those. What do you call them with the four wheels and the toast the quads? Were they on inline skates? I think they were on inline skates, or, or at least maybe they kept the quads. I think they had a couple of, of yeah, because some of the choreography they wouldn't be able to do on on inlines. Yeah. But I think they might have had stunt skaters. They when did. They went. Yeah, like did they have somebody that flew up the bowl and did a flip? Oh yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that would have, he would have been on inlines probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they did. Yeah, for sure. I think it was a combo of the two. But yeah, it's cool. It's a cool show. That and must have been so crazy when you went back, right? Because you were there when you were five, and you were in kindergarten in Germany, mm -hmm. and you used to skate in the hallways <clears throat> on your little quad skates. Mm -hmm. So then you went back when you were, had been to Australia and you were traveling and stuff. And when you went to that theater, there were people in that show that that knew you. Yeah. Because they were still in the show. Pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. And that must have been, I mean, just from my perspective and knowing, you know, knowing whatever I know now, but it, it must have been so hard for you to do that. Not only are you going to a new country with a family to do a show like that, but you're also, it's all in German. Mm -hmm. And then, so you almost have to like, either, it must be way harder to memorize lines when you, it's not a language you are fully have been living with. Yeah, because you don't know. Whatever. Yeah, part of memorizing is you understand what you're saying. Yeah. So like what I was talking about earlier, a lot of times you're getting your lines. Maybe your lines aren't exactly right, but you're saying the right thing. Mm -hmm. And then then you find, then you get, you know, that you're getting the lines, the words right as well. Mm -hmm. But in the rehearsal process, you know, there's a point where, okay, you're off book. Yeah. Sometimes you didn't say the line as it's written, but you you still said the same thing because you know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. When you're talking in German, if you don't know exactly what the line is, you can't ad lib. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's a different language. Unless, yeah, unless you're fluent. Yeah. 
that must have been tricky to uh, to to get over that. Like, how how long did it take you to? And also, we should mention that you were the lead, so it's not like you had four lines. You had many yeah, lines, several and, songs, and many several, songs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's also a physically demanding show in its own as well. So you've got all these pillars to conquer. But I mean, that's so that never, must have been awesome. I used to say to people, I've never been in more pain in my whole life, including playing football, playing hockey, playing anything than I was in rehearsals for that show mm. and on an ongoing basis, you know, cause I mean, for a year after leaving that show, I couldn't run for a bus cause <laughs> you're, you know, your quads, everything about your legs or your inner thigh muscles are so locked up that you can't really, you don't, yeah, you can't run like a normal person for did they have like a like a physio team or like a massage? Oh yeah, we had a chiropractor, whatever. We had two guys on staff that were um, one was a chiropractor and the other was a reflexologist, but mm. they're also massage therapists. Mm. So you could, and we had a, a dedicated massage room, so you could you could book two massages a week uh, unless you were injured. Then you were unlimited. Everybody's always injured <laughs> in that show. <laughs> always. You know, it's funny. Every, as, as as banged up as all the cast got, those massage therapists, I bet they look like Popeye. Yeah. Four hours right. just yeah. <laughs> rubbing down muscles all day long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They said for the longest time, I don't know if it's still, I think it was in the Guinness World Book of Records. Yeah. As the, the, the world's, the most dangerous stage show in history. Oh, I also think it had um, one for most, like, highest attendance of any show ever as well. Well, yeah, because you think that, I don't know how many millions of people, even by the time I was in it in Germany, because it was full. All, you couldn't get tickets mm -hmm. for it. Even, even it, it had been running for 10 years. Yeah. Because I remember the pizza guy that we went to, I got him tickets for his wife and him to go. He was the king of his neighborhood. Yeah. Because you just, you couldn't buy them. Hmm. You know, even so, at that point. That's crazy. I wonder what it is about that show that stuck so hard in Germany. I don't know. People would dress up like <laughs> us. and But, you know, that series of um, commercials I did for Germany, too, the beefy the ones. The beefy ones, yeah. Same thing. They People, they'd have those radio stations would host parties in a parkplatz. <laughs> And people would come <laughs> as us, as the characters in those commercials. I remember bringing, trying to bring some beefy sticks back when I came back and customs was like... <laughs> they wouldn't let nah. you? I was like, well, can he come in and just eat one? <laughs> no. Oh, you were here in Toronto? Yeah, I made it. You got that far? Yeah. And they were like, you can't bring this in. I was like, just one. We'll eat it before we leave the airport. Uh-uh. Anyway, I could pause it and uh, we can try doing a tune. Okay. Where I've been, where I've been. 
is a man that I've made out to be All that I know is that I'm just made I'm just made Ooh, I'm skin bones and I don't know why But I can't think twice In the moments all past I could care it's alright You said without you is where I've been, where I've been Blue skies, sunrise, fade away And all I see is moonlight Where am I, where am I? And all that I know is that I'm just made of skin and bones Here's a man that I've made out to be And all that I know Is that I'm just made I'm just made Ooh, skin and bones Skin and bones Skin and bones Skin and bones Skin